You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Okay, let's read the text um, or work through the text together. Um, Verse 1. Luke says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Uh, Unlike a lot of my sermons, Luke pretty much just did my job for me. Um, Here in the first verse, he tells us why. He tells us why Jesus is telling this parable, right? The effect that Jesus is after is that his people would do two things. One, that they would always pray, and then two, that in their praying they would not lose heart. So I guess if we wanted to, I could just tell you guys to pray and not to lose heart. But by now, you guys know that's not really how I roll. Um, So we're going to get our 20 minutes in. But why specifically here? Well, because it matters why we should pray. It matters why we should not only pray, but why Jesus says we should always pray, or why He hopes that we would always pray. And it also matters how we ensure that we don't lose heart. And so let's take a closer look at the parable, because quite frankly, it'd be easy to get wrong. Verses 2 and 3 say this. Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. So at first glance, very simple. This one's a a lot more simple than maybe some of his other stories. We've just got two characters. We have a judge and we have a widow put before us. And he tells us about the judge. He describes him as this man who uh, essentially bears two distinguishing qualities about him, neither of which are good. The first one is this. He does not fear God. A judge who does not fear God. Now, this is Meaningful, especially if, and we don't, we don't know from Jesus' details, but if this judge is a Jew, it means that he is in open defiance of the primary qualification for a judge. In the Old Testament, we come to find out that in selecting judges, the first and foremost requirement is that they would fear God, that they would reverence Him, that they would believe Him, that they would honor His truth above their truth, that they would judge justly according to to his measures of justice. Like that that's the first and foremost requirement. And what we have here is a judge with no fear of God, who recognizes no universal ethic outside of his own self-interest. And because of his mistaken belief that he will never stand before God, he's relieved of any burden to render just decisions. And so the irony here is that we have a judge who is both incapable and unwilling to render justice. He's incapable and unwilling to do his job. But not only does he not fear God, he has no respect for man. And so if the first thing did not already disqualify him, the second one certainly takes it a step further. It clears the bar easily. 
for someone who's been disqualified to be a judge. He's not only unjust because he lacks fear of God, he also does not respect man. And so essentially, what we come to find out is that this judge is the complete opposite of everything that Jesus is asking his people to be and do, right? What does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to love God and to love our neighbor. We're called to love God and we're called to love man, to love men and women and to care for them. This judge does neither of those things. Then there's the widow. And for us, uh, the, the idea of widow is, is maybe a bit different from what Luke and Jesus in particular in his words here is trying to communicate for us. You see, widows in this particular society were among the most defenseless people The Old Testament refers to their being oppressed in Malachi 3. Refers to them being taken advantage of in Exodus 22. They were often legal victims, is what Isaiah 1 tells us. And this was the case for this poor woman. Likely, she was one of those later described in Luke as victims of men who devour widows' houses in Luke 20. And so this woman who uh, has no defense, who has no protection, who has no, no covering of a husband or a family or any of those things, is coming before this kind of judge, a judge who does not fear God and who does not care for man, who does not care for her. And all she wants in his audience, not vengeance, she just wants justice to be restored. She just wants justice to be done against her adversaries. Something the judge judge did not know, nor was he willing to offer her. And so she's only got really a couple of options, right? A bribe? a threat, or a pathetic plea. That's about it. That's about all she can do in the face of this judge. And the reality of this widow is that because of her societal status, she doesn't have expendable valuables for a bribe. And she's not powerful enough to make any threats to this man. So she pleads, she pleads, and she pleads, and she pleads. Every day, she begs this judge to help her. And the language, as Jesus is telling us this story, leaves open the possibility of this kind of confrontation everywhere, not just in a court. So she likely pleaded with him in front of his colleagues confronted him on the street, pestered him in the market, called out to him at his home. And needless to say, from what we know about this man, she did this knowing her chances were very, very slim. But it was her only recourse. It's the only thing she could do. And so she did, day after day, After day, and what happens next? Verse 4 says this For a while, he refused. 
true to form. And then he says, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And so what happens? Well, justice is eventually served, right? The widow gets her wish. She wears him down. He gives in. She gets her justice after persistently, faithfully, desperately pleading with this unjust judge. And so what's the moral of the story? Right, well, I, often this text is preached this way, that we should persistently, faithfully, desperately plead with the Lord. Simple, right? Well, not really. We don't want to read this too simply. Because if we're not careful, we'll equate God with the unjust judge And we'll begin to think that we need to pester Him, that if we try hard enough, that maybe He'll hear us, and then maybe we'll get what we want. That if we do X, Y, and Z, it will produce result A, B, C. I didn't know where to go. That was the end of the alphabet, and I switched those too. It's really easy to read it that way. But if we're not careful, we will read this in such a way that tries to compare God with the unjust judge rather than contrasting God with the unjust judge. You see, I think the problem with us is that many of us look at Him like the unjust judge and not like what Jesus is trying to elicit in us or to help us understand about who God is and our ability to approach Him. You see, this is what Jesus goes on to say. He says, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Listen, there's nothing fun about asking for justice or your livelihood from someone who doesn't care about either one of those things. It's profoundly humiliating and terribly discouraging the longer the requests go unanswered. And therein, brothers and sisters, lies the difference. Therein is the contrast that Jesus is trying to bring to light for us. You see, where the judge in the parable is unjust, God is just. Where the judge in the parable doesn't respect man, God loves man. And so he's making the case that this widow before the unjust God has an unfavorable audience, but we before God have a favorable audience. And so we should what? Always pray. Always come to him. Because that humiliation, that discouragement is just simply not there for you and I. We are not acting upon the whims of an unjust judge. We're not depending upon the whims of someone who does not care for us and or love us. We should always pray because God is just and because He does love us. You see, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll tangle some images for us, but essentially what, what Jesus would want for us to understand is that our judge is also our father and that we have favor in his court. Why? 
Well, you know the story, don't you? It's not all that familiar, unfamiliar. In the court of God, Jesus was judged on our behalf. Our sin was placed upon him, and he was judged for it justly. And nothing left remains. Nothing that should cause us to doubt whether he has been fully just, whether his justice has been served, whether Jesus' work was truly sufficient, whether there might have been some lack in him that we now have to make up for. Nor do we have to doubt whether he loves us. Because again, in condemning his own son, he has shown us his love. The Bible tells us in 1 John that it's in that act that love is in fact defined for us. That that's the only reason that we would even be able to know or characterize or understand love. That we can't even know or characterize or understand love apart from that action of Jesus on our behalf as a member of the triune God. And so, again, I think what we see here and what we've seen consistently throughout the parables is this. We have an innate tendency to want to rely on our ability to do rather than to depend on God's faithfulness to His character. You see, I, I, I think in some weird and twisted way in our minds, we think that the unjust judge is more predictable because there's something that we can do. And so just like every week so far in this Lenten season and in this time in the parables, we need to repent from trying to manipulate God. We need to repent from exchanging communion with God in prayer, satisfaction in the finished work of Jesus, and trust in the secured future of God for a list of things we hope He will do for us if we act right. I mean, that's essentially what this whole Lent season is about. It's a season where we recognize and delve into our deep inability, our deep inability to do what God requires. Knowing that when we arrive at Easter, we will finally fully realize that all the work has been done will finally understand with greater detail, with more contour, with more joy and gratitude what those words, it is finished, meant. So we not only need to repent of our tendency to jump into this works-based righteousness, our tendency to jump into our ability to do rather than God's grace to us in Jesus. We also need to repent of mischaracterizing God as one who might be just, as one who might be faithful, as one who might keep His promises to us. 
Because his word is clear, and Jesus' words to us in this parable are clear that God is just, that he is faithful, and that he will keep his promises, that what he decrees, in fact, comes to pass. And that is why we should not lose heart. What are Jesus' final words in the parable? I tell you, He will give justice to them. He will give justice to His people. If you are in Christ this morning, He will give justice to you. Speedily. You know, I know, I know how it is. The days are long. But brother and sister, the years are short. God will give justice to us speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? You see, here's the thing. It would have been easy for the persistent widow to lose heart. There is zero track record of this judge ever shifting towards compassion because someone bothered him enough. He doesn't care. He does not care. Brother and sister, you and I, we are in the complete opposite scenario. The complete opposite scenario. God in Christ and by the Spirit will hasten Justin to us so we can release our anxiety, our doubt, and our worry. And in fact, rather than losing heart, we are encouraged to take heart by the sheer fact that in Christ, again, we have a God who, yes, is judge, but in His court we have favor. And who will not delay justice, who will not sit back long enough and wait for us to sort of punch ourselves out and then finally be like, okay, I'm ready now. No, no, no. He will give justice speedily. And so we are encouraged to pray persistently. We are encouraged to cry out to Him day and night. We are encouraged to do those things. And yet, the posture of our hearts in that moment are what will distinguish us from those who understand God rightly and those who do not. Those who look at God as this person that we have to perform for rather than this Father in whose court we have favor and with whom we can entreat knowing that no matter what, no matter if we get the words just right enough, no matter if we pray long enough, that just Justice in God is coming because just is who He is. And that's why, brothers and sisters, Paul in Philippians 4 writes these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone Why? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, so here's the thing. I think a lot of times our praying makes us anxious. 
And that's literally the complete opposite effect that praying is supposed to do in, or supposed to have in our hearts as believers. And again, I think the reason for that is because we're so concerned about how we're performing rather than concerned about who we're talking to. And the speed with which he plans to come. And the speed which with which he plans to enact justice on our behalf. And the guarantee that we have that he will in fact enact that justice. Because we've already got the down payment right there. In the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. So brothers and sisters, let's pray always and not lose heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, God, so grateful that we can even come before you, Lord, that we would be able to enter into the most just courtroom in all of the universe. And Lord, that we could not only enter in, and Lord, that you do not immediately send us away, but rather that you bring us in through the courtroom and to your table where we get to sit and commune with you. Lord, like that when, that when we pray, you hear. And Lord, you're not, you're not sitting there with a red marker circling every undotted I, every uncrossed T. But Lord, that you hear And that you, according to your faithfulness, will deliver justice. You will right every wrong. You will make new every dead and broken thing. We have but to be patient and not lose heart. And Lord, it is in these prayers, it is in reminding ourselves of your faithfulness, it is in coming before you in favor, knowing that we have favor before you, knowing where we stand with you because of Jesus. It is in that secured that we don't lose heart, that we are strengthened for the days that remain for us in the knowledge that you are working everything together for the good of those who love you. We thank you for this security, this comfort, this grace that we do not earn or deserve, but that you have given anyway. Through the perfect, sufficient, pleasing, satisfying work of Jesus Christ, 
who now dwells in us by the power of your Spirit, enabling us to walk faithfully as we pray always and are sustained in hope. Thank you for this gift, Jesus. In your name we pray.